Amen. Good morning and welcome. Uh, Sorry about that. As we're here at Generations uh, Community. A couple of things, just as we kind of get started. Um, I want to talk a little bit about stories. Uh, And I I love stories. I uh, grew up uh, listening to the men in my church. It was a small church, and they would always tell stories. And I, I learned so much by listening to them tell stories. And uh, some of them were better at telling stories than other ones, but, uh, but they, they told stories to talk uh, about life. And one of the things that I think is really cool uh, about Jesus is that he was an excellent storyteller. He would always share all, all kinds of, of stories. Uh, and so we're going to kick off a, a new teaching series for the summer uh, that we're calling Parables, Stories That Changed uh, the World. And it's all about the stories that Jesus told. And we're going to be uh, working through uh, Matthew and the stories that he told there. Um, and uh, each one th- with a different Sunday. And today, we're going to start out with one that I, I really, really like. But before we get there, a couple of things we kind of need to uh, make clear before we get started uh, about stories. And, and the first one is this. Facts describe, stories give meaning. Facts describe, stories give meaning. So you can know something about someone. You can know uh, how tall they are and how much they weigh and the color of their hair and how curly or straight their hair is or whether their hair used to be straight and now it's curly, kind of like mine. Uh, you can know their personality type. You can know their income. You can know all of those things about someone and not really know someone. To really know someone, you have to get stories about them. You have to spend time with them and, and, and get to know them. And, and stories are a way of communicating values, and they're a way of communicating what someone is really, really like. And so in order to know me, you have to know the stories about me. And that's part of the reason I tell stories on my, myself, because you get to know me. And if I want to get to know you, I want to know stories about you. When you're getting to know someone, you very often ask questions. How did you guys meet? Well, they tell a story. I mean, they could give you a date, you know, and a time and a place and just be done with it. That would be the facts, but that's not fun, and you don't really learn about people that way. And so parables are all about these stories. So Jesus was constantly telling stories about what the kingdom of God was like, what, what uh, he was like, what, what his heavenly father was like. And so um, these Bible stories are powerful for us. And, and this is what I, I know for sure. Jesus was a master storyteller. He he was a master of it, maybe the best there ever was, because these parables go on to become huge around the world. Even people who are not uh, followers of Jesus uh, often will reference the stories from the Bible as as ways of talking about um, morality, especially, or about what's right and what's wrong, and and describing the way the world is sometimes. Parables are are stories with a moral to them, usually a spiritual one in Jesus' case, but sometimes uh, just a moral one. So um, they communicate bigger, they communicate bigger than the facts. And so this morning, uh, we're going to do the, uh, one that's, that's really important. And so this first parable we're going to talk about uh, does this. The first parable uh, teaches the importance of purpose, the importance of purpose in your life and in my life. Uh, and honestly, I'm partly started with this one. It's early. It's in Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bibles uh, with you. Uh, but part of the reason I did this one is this one I think often people just misunderstand uh, what, it, what it's about. Um, and so it, it's important that we understand that, that purpose, that uh, purpose, so let me get this part here. Purpose is what gives our life meaning, okay? That, that's what gives meaning. And, and meaning gives our life satisfaction, And satisfaction is what we actually want in life. I know we live in a time where everybody talks about happiness. Are you happy? You know, Uh, but but the problem with happiness is it's a very 
it comes and goes. It, sometimes you're happy, sometimes you're not, you know. Your spouse gives you a brand new car for, you know, Christmas or your birthday, and you're happy for a while, you know. But then if somebody hits it, then you're not happy for a while. You know, it, their, their happiness is something that comes and goes. But satisfaction, purpose, that that lasts. And I really learned that this last year when I got my cancer diagnosis. And, and it was looking like maybe my life wasn't going to go on a lot longer. And, and so all of a sudden you begin to reflect on, on your life. And, and I had this really strange thing where the Spirit kind of talked to me because as I looked over my life, I, I, I was really satisfied with my life. I had given my life to a purpose and to a goal. And, and I could look back and I, and I came to a kind of a place where I thought, you know what, I could, I could die today and I would not be dissatisfied with my life. I would go, I had a good life, a really good life. And yet at the same time, I realized that in many ways, I hadn't been able over the course of my life to do as many kind of fun things as a lot of people did. Growing up, my parents were in medicine, so we never got weekends off, you know, and often mom and dad's schedules were off, so we didn't do any of that stuff. I didn't know what a three-day weekend was. And then when I became an adult, I was in the grocery industry retail for a long time, so I never got weekends off again, and I never got three-day weekends. And when I finally got through all of that, I became a pastor. And you know when you work on, when you're a pastor? On the weekends, I still don't get with three-day weekends or weekends off. And Jody was working through the week. And, you know, so I just never, never in my life have I been able to do the things that a lot of other people do, where they take a three-day weekend and they go somewhere. Or they take two days off and they go somewhere. And they and their spouse have their days off together and the family and, and all that. That's just never been a part of my life. And because, again, I don't get weekends off, there was no point never buying a boat, you know. And mom and then my wife wouldn't let me buy motorcycles. And so there was a ton of fun things in life I missed. And yet when I came to the end, I had a deep satisfaction with my life. So happiness comes and goes, but what we really need is satisfaction. That sustains us. And satisfaction comes out of purpose uh, in life. So let's talk about this first parable about the importance of purpose. You'll find it in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And it's in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been doing a lot of teaching. Some of it is kind of propositional truth, you know, uh, like, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. There's a number of those. But then as he gets in, he starts to do these parables, these stories uh, that have a, a teaching meaning. So let's begin with uh, verse 13. It says, you are the salt. Okay, got your salt. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? And the answer to that is, it can't be restored. You can't make salt salty again once it's not salty, okay? I'm not sure that that all made sense, but, that, but, but that's the truth of it, okay? Um, and the interesting sort of thing, and this is where this, this verse gets taken sideways so many times. I hear so many people trying to figure out and make application about the salt. Well, you know, salt makes things taste better, so Christians should make things taste better in life. Life should be, well, there's truth to that, but that's actually not what this is about. Or salt would preserve things, which was very important in the ancient world. So, so we should be a preservative, and, and that's a cool, but that's, again, that's not how Jesus is actually using this thing. The, the idea here is that the purpose of salt is to be salty, right? And so it is no longer good for anything except uh, to be thrown out and trampled underfoot once it's lost its purpose, okay? Once, once it, it doesn't have it, its real purpose, it isn't there. So salt that isn't salty is useless. That's in your notes there. It, it, it doesn't matter for anything. It doesn't help anything. It, salt doesn't go around wishing that it could be ketchup, you know? And, and, and salt doesn't go around thinking, oh, if I could only be bacon, if I could be more like bacon. The purpose of salt is to be 
salty. That's one thing. It's only one job. And if it isn't salty, it's useless. And so the message here is if we don't have our purpose, then we've lost our direction. We, we've lost our, our purpose in life if we're not doing what God is calling us to do. And there's some really interesting things with this. The, the salt in the ancient world was rare and it was expensive. And so if, if salt lost its saltiness, it was, a, it was a big loss. It was like if you buy that new car that makes you happy for a minute and then somebody totals it. It's like, it makes you worse than you were before. And so when salt loses its saltiness, it's not just bad that it lost its saltiness and it's worthless, but it's a great loss for you as well. And then that whole trampled, you know, it's not worth anything except to be trampled under people's feet. There's a, a, a reference going on Jesus is doing for the Jews that we don't normally get, and that's this. In the ancient world, in Jesus' time, if a Jew decided to leave the faith and, and, and run away and, and say, I don't want anything to do with that anymore, you know, kind of the parable of the, of, the, um, of the lost son kind of a deal. And then when they came back, there was a ceremony of repentance they had to go through, of penance, pain for the sin. And what they would literally do is they would have to lay on the ground and people would walk on them. And so when Jesus said it's not good for anything except to be trampled under people's feet, he was referencing that idea that, that it's just total lostness in the midst of that. And so here's what I know out of, out of just this first verse, and that is this. Um, to achieve deep satisfaction in life, you must embrace and live your purpose. To achieve deep satisfaction in life, you must embrace and live your purpose. Otherwise... You're just tasteless salt, and tasteless salt isn't worth anything at all. In fact, you will never be truly happy until you have embraced your God-given purpose in life. And I'm just going to say that again because I know this is countercultural, but you will never be truly happy. You have happy moments when things come in and things go, but you'll never understand that true happiness, what we sometimes call joy, until you embrace your purpose in life. To the, so that you're salty like salt is supposed to be. In fact, I, I've kind of become persuaded that in America, we have a happiness addiction, you know? People are happyaholics. Uh, they, they, they're constantly looking for the next thing because, because the one thing makes them happy for a while, but then it wears off. And then the next thing comes along and it makes them happy for a while, and, and that wears off. And, and that, that in part drives some of our other addictions. They're, they're trying to find the thing that would get them where they want to be uh, emotionally. And, and, and they got to have more, more adventures. They got to buy more stuff. They got to do more things. It's more, 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 more. In fact, kind of the message of our society is more. More will make you happy. More of whatever it is, it, that's what it is. And the high wears off, and we need another happiness fix. Have you met people that are after a happiness fix? It's just, there's something, there's always something missing. And what's missing is God's purpose. When God gives you a purpose, it's, what will on, it's the only thing that will satisfy uh, your soul. So let's look at the second half of this for the second metaphor. The first metaphor was salt, which means you should have purpose. The second metaphor is in verse 14. You are the light of the world. You and me are the light of the world. There's your purpose. You were created to be light in the world. You are the light of the world. And I, I can hear some of you already flipping through your Bible going, wait, 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 wait. Isn't Jesus the light of the world? That's a sacrilege. Listen, you're arguing with the Bible, not me, okay? It, that, that you and I are the light of the world. And here's the way I think it actually works. Um, Christ is the light of the world. In fact, you're all going on about, you know, our Christmas Eve service where we all gather around in the dark and we light from the Christ candle and we pass the light to the next person. We say, you are the light of the world. And I always cry because I'm passing to my wife or my kids. There's something powerful about that for me. And, and, 
And what I think he's talking about here is not that we are the light itself, but that we reflect the light. In the same way that the sun and the moon have the same light. The moon doesn't produce any light in and of itself. What the moon does is it reflects the sun's light back. And it gives light in the middle of the night. If you have a full moon, you can see a lot more than if you don't have any moon. And and so we are reflectors. We are moons, if you will. Christ is the light of the world, and we reflect that. So you are the light of the world. And and there is a catch, though. The catch is this. It's not your light. It's the sun's light, whether you spell it S-U-N or S-O-N. It's the sun's light. And, And so you enjoy the benefits of the light, I love, my life has changed because I follow Christ. I, I, I missed out on a lot of things that would have damaged my life because Christ kept pushing me. I, I experienced forgiveness for the places where I failed and where I've sinned. I, I get to experience grace. I get to experience mercy. Everybody should be happy for mercy. I get to experience life that is eternal and love and all of those blessings that come from the light that Christ has shown in my life. But at the end of the day, as much as I enjoy those benefits, the light that created them isn't mine. It's God's. And it's not mine to decide what I do with and what I don't do with. And he says, share it. Share it to the world around you. One of the cool properties of light, I think, is that that the more you add lights, the more it it magnifies the light. The light gets stronger every time. Unlike sound, you know, if you get different sounds going in a room, you get all, it just gets jumbled after a while. But light, the more light you put in, and even if you put in different colored lights and all of those sorts of things, the total amount of light gets magnified. I love that idea. So get this. Your purpose in life is to be like Jesus to the world around you, Okay to the world around you. So you're thinking, man, I got this one little light like we kind of do at at, uh, Christmas Eve. We have this one light and it doesn't give off very much light. But but the more we have, if we are faithful with our one light and we pass the light to the next person and they're faithful with their one light, you pass the light to the next person and they're faithful with one light, we start passing them this way all around the sanctuary and we send out missionaries, goes everywhere. Pretty soon, a whole bunch of one little lights lights the room up. And you can see pictures of that on our Facebook page of how the whole room, and it's a big room, gets lit up by all this light. Your one purpose is not to light the whole room. Your one purpose is to be faithful with that one little light to the world. And it's not enough to just just hold on to your light. You have to share that life. It is to reflect Christ to the people that are living in darkness. And, And here's kind of the deal with all of that. The Bible doesn't say... Be the light of the church. Because we like to share the light with the people in the church. We like these people. These are our friends. You all can't wait to get back together in the church and and share life together and share light together. But he didn't say, be the light of the church. He said, be the light of the world. Of the people that are living in darkness. Of the people that don't have light. Even though they think they have light, they're bumping around in the middle of that. And, And for the most part, we don't mind being light to the people in the church because we like that. But being light to people in darkness, that's harder. It's more difficult. They, they make fun of you. They say hurtful things to you. They, they ignore you. They, they, they think less of you. But it is the light to the world that really matters. That is our task, to bring the light to the world around you. And then, look at this. This is where we get to the, the really cool part. Okay, So um, the next verse, part of the verse, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden okay so if i take this flashlight and i turn it on and i get there and then i do this with it with it you know and i go like that there's about 12 of you out there that are worrying that i'm running the batteries down on the light without any purpose at all right 
That's because hiding the light doesn't make any sense, even in, in our world. Um, and, and so uh, there's, there's a cool thing here where it says a, a town on a hill or a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, Jesus grew up in Nazareth. And what people don't know about Nazareth is that uh, a few miles away, there was another city called Sepphoris. Uh, and it was built on a hill about 400 feet high. Uh, and it was a big city. It was probably 4,000 people, which in that time was a lot of, of people. Nazareth was about 40 families for comparison, right? Um, and you could see it from everywhere because it was over there. And it was, for a time, it was the, the center of government over Galilee. And so from all over Galilee, you could see Sepphoris. So Jesus, no doubt, as a small boy, when he was out at night, he could see Sepphoris off in, in the distance. And the disciples that came from Galilee, Peter and his family and, and those, they, they all knew immediately what Jesus was talking about. A city on a hill can't be hid. We kind of lose that today, but, but this idea that if you are lost in the desert and you're trying to find, well, there's Sepphoris. I can find my way. A city on the hill is for everybody uh, to see. And, and so um, you are, you are, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And that's kind of the idea of the church. Our collective light can bring light to so many more people. It's more visible uh, if, if we're together. And, and Sepphoris could be seen for miles and miles and miles uh, around. Okay? So then it goes on, the next part of the verse. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, okay? But, it, but put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, this is one of those places where Jesus is using sarcasm. And I've told you before that he does it. Uh, I've, I've been a little hesitant to, you know, to tell people where that is in Scripture because sarcasm can be very hurtful sometimes. Uh, but this is a place where he's actually kind of making fun of them with, with sarcasm. The idea is... Um, because remember, in the first century, the way you got light was you had to have a candle, some sort of fire, or, or a candlestick kind of a thing, but it involved fire. And so the idea that you would light something on fire, a candle, and then put what was probably a wicker or some sort of thing over the top of it, not only would it not give light, it might catch on fire. And, and so Jesus has kind of said, everybody would have recognized immediately, this is ridiculous, this idea that you would light a light and, and put it under something, just like it's ridiculous that you would light this thing and put it like this. The fact that I'm wearing down this battery is still bothering some of you. I know it is out there because you don't hide a, a light. And that's what he's saying. And he said, you are the light. Don't hide your light. And, and that really is, that's a little more pushy on Jesus' part in some ways because it is so easy for us today to hide our light. Well, at church, people know I'm a Christian, but at work, you know, not so much. You know, I'm not doing anything bad or anything like that. I just, uh, you know, I, I, and he's saying, your purpose in life is to be light to a lost and broken world. And the church collectively is the city on the hill. And this wonderful image of what the kingdom of God looks like. Everyone bears the light to the world around them. And when we get together, we are a city on a hill. I love that our church is up on the hill. There's a part of me that at some point wanted to name it City on the Hill Church. Just because it should be a light to the world around us. And so then look at this next section here. He goes, in the same way, verse 15, let your light shine before others. Let your light shine to the people around you. And there's an interesting thing in the original language going on here. All, all of the rest of this paragraph, uh, they've been using a, a tense in Greek that's descriptive. It's kind of facts. You are the light of the world. That's a fact. You know, um, you, you are the salt. Uh, you know, the salt, the lust, that's a fact. It's all, it's all descriptive kind of language. This last line, in the same way, let your light shine before others, it's in the imperative which means it's a command. He, he, he's describing the reality. Now he's telling you what to do with that reality. 
You, in the same way, let your light shine before others. That's, that's not negotiable. That's not a, you know, if you get time or you think about it, or maybe you like somebody who's in the darkness enough that you can kind of share with them. That is, you are to do this. It's a command. It's very, very strong. It's, it's not optional. So here is the purpose to your life. Then they may see your good, oops, second part of it. Then they may see your good deeds and glorify your God, their God in heaven. So there's, there's the purpose right there. That others may see your good deeds and glorify your God in heaven. So get this. This is just crazy. We are to reflect Jesus so well that people break out in glory to God. We are to reflect Jesus so well that people break out in glory to God. You're all going, no way. No way is that going to happen. And you know, we're not even close to that. But you know what makes me sad? Is not only we are not close to that, but in many ways it's gone the other direction. That, that most other unbelievers want nothing to do with Christians. In fact, lots of unbelievers think that, that to become a Christian would be a step down morally. There's something that's happened to Christianity in, in America that, that, that has gotten us off track. And we aren't living in such a way that people go, I want to be a Christian, or I want to know what they're like, or, or even if they don't want to be like us, they, they go, man, there's something special about them. In fact, you know what the number one impression of unbelievers about uh, Christians is? They believe that Christianity is a political party. How did that happen? How did that happen? What went wrong in fact, one of the things I loved about the early Christians, you read the book of Acts, it said, and they had favor with all people. You say, wait a minute, they got persecuted. Yeah, you know who persecuted them? Religious leaders persecuted them. But the people, the people in darkness, the sinners, the people that struck, they loved them. That's why the church exploded with growth. The religious leaders were the ones that were against them. The religious leaders whose positions were threatened were the ones that, that came after them and killed them. And eventually then political leaders came after and killed them because they were an easy scapegoat. And it's easy to make people of whatever kind of group the scapegoat. But with the people in darkness, they were enormously popular. Let me say it this way. We should be known for our good deeds, not our politics. I don't have anything against politics. And I have friends on both sides, and there are Christians on both sides, although increasingly both sides think the other side isn't Christian. That's a problem. But politics is not the purpose of the church. Good deeds, reflecting the light of Jesus, that's the purpose of the church. And sometimes those things cross over a little bit. But, but we have to stay focused on the spiritual component uh, of that. Uh, and, and deeds, the word for deeds there, that they should do their good deeds, that's actually a word that, that means the idea of business, of working at it diligently and focusing on it. And so deeds, I, I define deeds like this. Things that we do to make other people's lives better. Deeds, good deeds. Things that we do that make other people's lives better. What are you doing? What am I doing that makes other people's lives better? This is a, an important thing for us as a church. I think once we begin to gather again, I, I think one of the things we need to do as a church is we need to be outside the wall serving in our community. We need to be doing good deeds and, and not necessarily even say, hey, you know, come down and pray right here right now while we're helping clean it up the park. That they see our good deeds and they glorify God. That no matter what, even if we disagree with each other, that they, they look at us and go, they've got something. 
I, I want to be a part of a church where, where people who are far from God go, you know, I don't know about those Christians, and they're, they're a little different, and they go to Sunday, and I can't get up on Sunday, and all, all of that. But man, do they love people. Man, do they love our community. Man, do they love people that are the least, the last, and the lost. That's the kind of vision that Christ had for what the church would be. You are the light of the world. Spread the light. And so um, we should be known for loving people, not judging them. We should be known for loving people. That's what Jesus said. You're the light of the world, not judging them. In fact, the next parable we're going to talk about is all about judging. We'll talk about that next Sunday. There's some fun stuff in, in that passage. We, we should be a people that are known for caring, and our good deeds should show it. The early church was active in doing good deeds everywhere they went. And so the purpose of light is to make things better. And that's what Jesus knew. We, we take light for granted. I, I, I walked into this sanctuary, this big old building. I walked over to a panel. I push one button and the whole thing lights up. There's all kinds of light like that. But in the ancient world, it wasn't like that. Once it went dark, if you wanted light, you had like a little candle to go around with. You know, you didn't want to start a big fire in your house because you might start a fire in your house. And so you had this little light and, and wherever you went, you would, you'd have to carry it along because I don't know about you, but, but if you walk in darkness, bad things happen. How many of you have ever hit the shin of a, your shin on a table in the dark, you know, walking around? Or, or, or how many of you have ever stepped on a Lego in the middle of the night with no shoes on because you were dark and you couldn't see? Bad things happen. And so in the ancient world, if you wanted to bring light to this person over there, you literally had to go walk over there with the light to bring it to them. You couldn't just flip a switch and everybody had light. And that's what Jesus was talking about. That was the context of the light. You are the light of the world. It's not just that you shine, it's that you take the light there. And in the ancient world, they would have understood that immediately because they didn't have all these fancy lights that we have. And so the purpose of light is to make things better. And the purpose of a Christian is to spread the light. Get that? Make things better. Spread the light. Spread the light. You make things better. That's the mission. That's our purpose. That's what will satisfy your soul. Dare I say it? Even better than something new or more. In the moment, it may not feel like that. But over time, and as someone that's been there and had to reevaluate their life, I'm telling you, spreading the light will satisfy your soul. It looks different in every person. They have different ways of doing it. But everybody's involved in spreading the light with our good deeds. Sometimes we think, I think people forget that we're supposed to spread the light with our deeds. They think they spread the light with their arguments. You know, If I win an argument, I've spread the light. That is not what the Bible says. It says we spread the light with our deeds. So, like it or not, people living in darkness are watching your life from the shadows. One of the things I say to parents is that your children will learn more from what they see you do than what they hear you say. Um, I, I like lectures. I like to talk. So I was known for giving lectures to my children when they grow up. In fact, they give them so much they numbered them eventually. Oh, there's number two. Oh, dad's on number four today. Watch out. Number one's coming, you know. But what I know is that the lectures were not nearly as impactful as my life. I tried hard to live with integrity. I am not perfect. Just ask my kids, they'll tell you. They can explain a great deal how I'm not perfect. But they were watching my life. And I'm telling you, the people living in darkness in your circle of influence, they are watching their life, your life, 
especially if they know you're a Christian, and I hope they know you're a Christian, and that's not a bad thing, but they're watching what you do. They want to know what it's like, but they don't want to come to church. You're the first church they ever experience, and it's your life that will persuade them. They're watching our actions. They're, they're looking at how we treat people. They're looking at what we do for other people. And when we say God is love, do our actions reflect that God is love? Or do our actions give a different message that God's judging and angry and after you, and every time you slip up, he's going to get you? Or do we portray a God that they're attracted to? That people want to come to the light. There's the light in that place. And a candle, it's just a little bit of light, but it's your little bit of light. And when we put it together with others, we get more and more light, and it's why it's so important. Community is so important in the Christian church that, that you have two or three of you that, that come together, and that's a brighter light. And then you get the church, and it's a, it's a brighter light. And then you get all of Christianity, and it's a much brighter light when we're living like Christ would have us live. Are you the light of the world? That's where we started. I'm uncomfortable with that. I hate saying I'm the light of the world because that just feels so, ah. But that's what the scripture says. I'm the light of the world. I'm not the sun, I'm the moon, but I'm the light of the world that's living in darkness. You see, that's why you need the moon in the darkness at night. And that's what we're called to be and do. And then I can't help but wonder, are we a city on the hill? Can we come together to do good deeds? Maybe outside our walls where we go serve? Can we be the church together? You are the light. Say, I am the light. Say, I am the light of the world. Okay, look at the person next to you and say, you are the light of the world. We are the light of the world because perception matters. And how they see us is how they will see Christ. You're the first sermon they ever hear. You're the first message. You're the most important one in so many ways to the world around you. Who in your circle of influence needs the light of Jesus in their life. Really be the light to them. It is so easy to do good deeds for other believers because we like them, because they're like family. We help out. It's just what we do. That's not the kind of good deeds Jesus is talking about. He's talking about doing good deeds for the people that live in darkness. That's what Jesus did. In fact, everywhere he went, he made lives better for people. He would come along, and, and he would meet a tax collector, horrible sinner, say, I'm going to your house for dinner, dude. You know, and he would do miracles in front of people that didn't believe. He did it for the people living in darkness. Do something. Do anything this week to spread the light. And if our musicians could come, we're going to uh, worship the Lord in giving in just a minute. But I, I just, I want to encourage you. Be the light. Don't be salt that has lost its savor. And somewhere in your world are some people that need the light. I'll turn that off so you won't worry about those batteries anymore. But I just, I want to encourage you to be the light. Be the light. Not here. Well, be the light here too. But be the light out there. You, 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 me, you are the light of the world. Let me pray for you and then we're going to worship the Lord in giving in just a minute. Father God, Lord, the stories you told are so powerful. And this one convicts me, um, Father. Help me to be the light in the world. It's easy to be the light in the church where everybody says, yeah, you're light. It's harder when you go and you try and be in the light in a place where, where people aren't very excited about the light. And so, Father, I pray that you would help each one of us individually to remember that we are the light of the world. 
And like in the ancient world where they had to carry the light to the next room in order for there to be light, you have sent us out to jobs to carry the light to wherever we are, to every place we work, to where we go to school, to the places where we shop, all of those places. We are the light. We carry the light with us, Father. I pray that you would make us light. And then I pray, Father, that you would gather us together in groups, maybe at work where we can find other Christians and strategize how to be the light together, Father, how we can be a little bit more of a city on a hill. And, and that as a church, Father, we really would be that, that city, that town on a hill that, that people can see all over, that we can put a lot of light out there, Father. Make us, make us a lighthouse on a hill, Father, for you and the good news that comes and cause people to be attracted to us, not because of us, but because they see you in us, Father, and we will be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we want to continue to worship the Lord through giving today, uh, and there are a number of ways that you can do that online, obviously. You can go to our webpage, uh, and if you look just down the bottom right-hand corner there, uh, you'll see uh, a place where you can give. It's generationscommunity.org. Or uh, you can use our app to give. Uh, it, it's, uh, you download it from whichever store you're at, uh, and there's a place to give right in there, as well as a number of other uh, ways to stay connected to the church. I really encourage you to, to get the app. Uh, one of the other ways you can give is you can text to give, uh, and that means you just text GIVE784 to 77977. Text seven, GIVE784 to 77977. And then the third way you can do it is you can just actually mail in uh, a check if you would like. And we want to encourage you, if you're going to do that, to mail it to our P.O. Box because it's nice and safe and secure that way. Uh, P.O. Box 1654, P.O. Box 1654, Marysville, Washington, 98270. Uh, so let's continue to worship the Lord in giving and worship the Lord uh, in singing today. <laughs> 